Welcome to the Leadership in the Environment podcast. This is Joshua Spodek. I'm here with Dan McPherson. Dan, how are you doing? I am fantastic. How are you, Josh? I'm very good. It's been a couple of weeks since last we spoke. I have to say that what we spoke about on race, you know, it's been part of my speaking about it more and it's opened up a lot of things. I'm curious at your end too, although maybe we should just get into continuing the conversation. We can go any direction, but I, I would say that it, it strikes me as we spoke to watch, and, and I know not everybody has the opportunity to watch, but really to watch and listen to your responses as we went through our conversation and to see, to hear the the change in tone. And, and it, it makes me really think about the emotional impact of unpacking things from our past it seems to me that you maybe entered the conversation in one space and then we, we go through our conversation and then, and I'm curious what happened for you or what it felt like for you going through it. And also what happened afterward? The conversation opened up a lot. There's a clear before, during, and after of the emotions. I didn't notice it until after. And then it was obvious what the case was because afterward, it felt like a breath of fresh air. It felt like this is stuff that was in me for decades, decades in my life. There's stuff that was relevant. And when people talk about race, I always felt like, what about my stuff? Like, and, but most of what I hear is shut up and listen. When people, you know, you've had your voice, you and your, but I haven't had my voice. I haven't. People with my skin color have had their voice, but I don't hear them speaking. And it doesn't sound like it doesn't, it's not relevant to me. And if other people think it's relevant to me, then, they're telling, they're telling the wrong person to shut up and listen. Right. So I look back at before and the anxiety that I felt. It was, I, you know, I was scared. That meant that I was protecting myself, fearful, I guess you could say, not candid, not bringing my whole self to anything because race is not a small issue. One of the things I mentioned is I'm constantly conscious of it. I don't know what other what I don't know if other people live in pure lily white worlds, but I've never been in that situation. In fact, the the time when I went to like the most white situation starting college was they were describing themselves as the most diverse of the Ivies. I was like, this that's not my experience. So a big part of my life I've just kept very quiet on. And while we were speaking, I, I felt the more I would think back about our conversation, I feel great gratitude to you because you were supportive and non-judgmental, and giving me a chance to talk about something that at least while we were speaking, I wasn't thinking about how do I say this? Am I saying the right thing or something like that? So when I looked back afterward and I listened to it, I thought, I don't think I said anything that was, I think what I said is at worst benign, possibly helpful. I think there's more diversity among white than people give credit to, but that's not even the perspective because I think that I was speaking about things relevant to race, but not a big, what's, you know, what sells papers is judgment and imposing inflammatory headlines. Others. Yeah. Not quite inflammatory, but yeah, like, like clickbait, but even if it's not clickbait places like, um, you know, the places with the quizzes and all, but if it's like, even the stuff, the papers of record, they go for headlines that draw you in their goal is to keep reading stories, not necessarily to resolve conflict. Right. They're looking for eyeballs, not necessarily solutions. Yeah. The emotional journey was pretty significant. And I, I, I wish I'd done it a long time earlier. Not that I'm out of it. I'm still in it. 
I haven't shared everything. Uh, yeah, I, I think we'd gotten up to, not that we were following a historical or chronological history of me, but I think we talked about high school and college, but hadn't quite gotten there yet. Yeah, I think that's the case. And I, I, I appreciate the willingness for you to step in and share and to go pretty deep and also to continue to ask yourself questions. Your curiosity, your drive to understand is something that I think shines in a lot of areas of your life and to see it applied here, done publicly. I think it's an important conversation in a lot of areas. It also jumped out to me the the portions of our conversation that started out as maybe a question about race, and that's where they've been wrapped up for you, but may or may not have been that, giving you a space to unpack and, and really say, is that, was this just where I was in the moment and what I was attaching it to, or was it, or was race actually the thing that was involved? And working through those pieces in our lives and finding what labels we've attached to things is so powerful. So your, your work in that and you're stepping through that is powerful. And I'm confident that it will help those who are listening for sure. There's a lot of questions that people, I think people want to ask, but if you ask it the wrong way, you know, in Seinfeld, there's an episode where uh, George Costanza, I think it was married or dated this woman who ended up becoming lesbian. There's a scene where he asks her, he's like, when, when lesbians do this, what happens? And she goes, she looks at him and goes, you're an idiot. And okay, he's, you know, the character is like a punching bag type character. Or he's got that element to him. Right. But he really wanted to know, like, what happens if you, if every time you ask someone's like, you're an idiot or worse, you're, you're racist. If someone says, here's something that probably people have gotten fired for. There are a lot of organizations that want more representation of under, underrepresented minorities. The NFL and the NBA are not one of them. Oh, in the coaching, yes, but on the, on the playing field or on the court, no. I think there's a lot of people out there who say, wait, why do we have to have, why do we look at representation at say Google, but not with the Lakers? But I think if people ask that, I think you're just supposed to know the answer. Or if you ask your borderline racist, you, you, you risk being called racist. If you ask, should we also have proportional representation of different races on the basketball court or on the football field? I don't know the answer to this. I can come up with some things. Should someone be punished for asking? What should be the response? What is, what do you think, what's the response if someone asks that? If, if someone was on, say, what's the context where someone, I don't know, it's just some podcast somewhere. And someone says, someone asked that question. What would, what do you think the response should be? What, how would you respond? What do you think, how do you think people well, would respond? First, I, I'll say, I think that the part of the reason that it is and a difficult issue, that it's something that comes up and causes a lot of strife is because many people who ask that are asking it antagonistically, not curiously, not gently, not from a heart of learning, but rather as a statement that isn't really a question or as an attack that's just being disguised. And that having been done for a long period of time, probably conditions a response. I, I would guess that that's part of where it comes from. How would I respond? And I, and I, I have been asked that question and how, and I would like to see the, the response be maybe similar to what 
to what mine was, which was to ask questions back in return to say, what is it that, what is it that you're looking at? Like, what are, what are you, what are you trying to determine? Is this a societal issue or is this, is this an individual team issue? For me, I, I think the answer probably gets into societal structures and, and issues of systemic racism, which are, which the attempt is to prevent that as opposed to necessarily the individual instance. That's a fair response. And you are a coach and a teacher. And so pedagogically, it's effective. When you said most people, if you look at the intent of the person asking it, I thought there's probably a selection effect that if if people are going to assume that the reason I'm asking is because I'm a white supremacist, I'm not going to ask. Which means that the people who are going to, only people who are going to ask are are going to be the white supremacists. But it leaves a question unanswered. Your response Pedagogically sound, it feels to me. I, I'm not sure if you're if you're approaching it as an educator, as a coach, but it would be effective that way. And it sounds great because oftentimes when students ask me questions in class, I ask the question back to them and say, "Figure it out and tell us back next week what you come up with." And they generally do come up with answers. But it begs the question of what about someone who really wants to know? So I, I, I'm glad you can just make it a learning experience every time, but then the people get tired of asking because they get, sure. okay, every time I ask, I'm just going to get asked back. And with the, with the implication being figure out how you're not racist or figure out, you know, figure right. out like you should know this, but what if the person doesn't? And even if they do know, what if that person's answer is different than someone else's answer? And what if they hear about someone getting fired from a job for asking a question like that, or Larry Summers at, at Harvard for, for proposing differences between men and women if the president of Harvard can't defend himself, what hope does someone else have? Right. I, I guess I take it in two paths. One is I would begin by asking a couple of questions more to clarify what they're really looking for. Then I'm glad to provide analysis, opinion, thought that goes towards that goal that they're aiming at. So I, I wouldn't stick purely with the questioning. Yes, some of it probably comes from my coaching mindset. Some of it certainly comes from me being a podcast host as well and thinking of if this comes up on on an episode that I have in the future, how would I likely handle it? There's another piece that you mentioned about intent. We tend to societally, I think, judge intent very harshly and from very limited amount of information. We look and see somebody and maybe it could be as broad in the in your example as, oh, they're white, they must have this intent. I was thinking more of tone and how someone asks. Are they asking aggressively? Are they asking attackingly? Are they asking where the intent doesn't feel right? It doesn't fit the situation. Or are they coming across more as sincerely curious or sincerely connected. For me, that would make a difference in how I would respond. I suspect for most people who have been involved in discussions of race for a long period of time, and particularly friends of mine who are African-American, people of color of, of different types, who would hear that question might assume the worst because they've been conditioned to that over time. That doesn't make it the right answer just means that it may often be true. I'm glad you brought that back up. Someone may have intent when they ask of like, why is it this, why is it this way? And then someone else might say, can you believe this person? They asked if, like to say, um, for a white person to say, a lot of my friends are black. Now I think is interpreted as like, there's at best so clueless that they don't realize that this is not what you say anymore. But more likely is like, oh, that's what racists say. So if someone says that, their intent will get lost by others. You know, if it's just two people talking, that's one thing. 
But if two people are talking in a public venue, or in a recorded venue that gets posted online, then the intent can get lost easily. And then people who are like, look at all these racists out there. Look, they, they, look at it. this top little person saying how many black friends he's got. Can you believe right. it? And right. it's so easy to get, and it's so easy to get uh, you said we're quick to judge intent, I think, but we're also quick to impose to ascribe intent. intent. Yes. Yeah. Whether it was there or not. Yeah. Something that hit me, we've been talking hypothetically. I am curious about race in sports because you could say, why do I've run a bunch of marathons? Kenyans do well in marathons. Why is that? Well, physiologically, there's some ratio of like the length of their legs relative to their height, the size of their feet. I think the last place you want mass in distance running is on your feet. And so I think there's like foot size and things like that. People seem to be comfortable writing about things like that. But some differences are very uncomfortable for people to talk about. If I say, if I talk about rates of sunburn, probably people are fine with that because I think, I think I'm going to get more sunburn because I have very pale skin, very little, I forget, is it melanin or melatonin? Whichever the uh, skin melanin. Melatonin is uh, medicine. Okay. I think it's fine for me to talk about sunburn rates, but if we were talk about physiology of, of the brain and then people would be like, Oh, don't talk about that. But it's possible that there'd be, when I talk about the brain, presumably there's some behavioral characteristics that would be different that are not just learned, but also they could be distinct as distinct as ratios of, of length from hip to uh, leg length. But I'm sure there are people listening to this now being like, Oh, Josh is like walking on, he's walking a fine line there. <laughs> like if he takes one more step, he's over. To me, it's like just asking the question seems like something, if no one, if no one answers these questions, then the racists will. And the people who ask the questions will go to where the answers come from. And if the question one side is always like, well, what do you think? Come back and tell me. Then it's like, ah, I want to know. And in, in, in any case, that doesn't, what if I want to know the opinion of someone? And if they say, well, read my book on anti-racism or something like that, you're like, ah, oh, that's a big answer. What about engaging and not judging? I feel like there's a lot of that. Anyway, in my life, I hear a lot of people say, you can go to places where other people can't. And you, no one's going to ask you, you know, are you buying that? Or watching you as you walk down the aisles of the market. So one thing that comes to mind for me, here's the big one in my life. When I would come home from Philadelphia, uh, from New York to Philadelphia, my dad's house to visit my dad, I would take the train. There's two stops that are equal distance to my dad's house. One is North Philly and one is 30th Street Station. The train goes through North Philly first and then goes to 30th Street. But it kind of, it always slows down for some reason going into 30th Street. So it's like an extra 10, 15 minutes for it to go the extra stop. So I would tell my dad, pick me up from North Philly. Well, North Philly is not a good neighborhood. Now he teaches at Temple University where he said he's had tenure there for basically all my life. I think just after I was born, I forget exactly when. And he would say, go to 30th Street, it's safer. I don't want to spend the extra time. And I remember saying to him, there's not a whole lot of black on white violence in the world. And he would say, yeah, there's not a lot of places where whites are in the middle of economically depressed neighborhoods with, with like higher crime. So there's crime there. The reason it's not hitting whites is because they're not there. But if you go there, you could be a victim of the crime. So I would generally go to 30th Street, but sometimes he'd pick me up from North Philly. But it struck me. So when people would say there are places where blacks can't go that you can, and you're not, you might not even be aware of it, I would think, well, there's places I can't go. At the risk of my life, people would imply. And one time, there was one summer where I was staying at my dad's house. I was taking classes at Temple University, 
and I would ride my bike from his house to Temple. And it was the summer after, after Rodney King. Mm. And he said, Josh, if things start flaring up like they did last summer, don't go there. Don't ride your bike through North Philly. I'm at a point of, well, it's a hot summer. So I generally ride in like 5 a.m., 6 a.m. Probably not many rides going on 5 a.m., 6 a.m. Right. And still there's the ride home. Anyway, this was just illustrating that people were warning me about going to a place where he works. I mean, going from where he lives to where he works. And he was saying, like, be careful doing that. So I mentioned this to someone. As a result of, as a result of our conversation, I spoke about something I'd never spoken about before. I can't, there's places where I can't go also. Of course, there's another one that's like a bigger one that's easier to talk about. Showtime at the Apollo, I mean, Amateur Night at the, at the Apollo Theater. I used to love watching that on TV. Whenever they showed the audience, there were very few whites in the audience. I'm pretty sure that if I went there and bought a ticket, they'd be like, fine, go in, no problem. I would definitely feel more comfortable going with a black friend. Just as like, I don't know the culture. It's like, I've never been in an audience that's as raucous as that. Except for when my mom took us to the Pentecostal churches of the neighbors when we lived on Rockland Street. And I guess in college, I went to a step show. So it just felt like, it's not that I don't belong in any, like I can go, I know that I could go, but I, I wouldn't, I think people would look at me like, hmm, that's an interesting, that we don't see that often. Or I might feel uncomfortable not knowing exactly what to do. But isn't that the difference? Isn't that part of the difference though? You're talking about not going into, I think you have two very different examples here, or at least that's how I'm hearing it. One is you're saying there are these neighborhoods that don't feel safe, whether it was a predominantly black neighborhood or a predominantly white neighborhood or predominantly Puerto Rican neighborhood or whatever it might be. If there's a lot of violence in theory, it's not safe for anybody. The question is, is that race or is that composition? And then you have this second example. Well, hold on. Uh, It's also possible that, well, it could be a class issue. It could be someone who looks like they have money is going to be unsafe, but someone who doesn't have money would be, would be safe. So it's not necessarily the case that it's unsafe for everyone there. I don't, I'm not sure if that's the case. Okay. Well, I, I mentioned it because if there are, if there's a lot of crime, presumably that's includes against probably people in the neighborhood. I'm not trying to parse it too deeply, but I I think, I think I do believe one of the challenges that we run into, and I've had a good number of discussions about this as well. We ascribe things to being one thing when they're, when they could be another, Oh, this must be racism or this must be about race when, when maybe it isn't. And by the way, sometimes the other way around, but I am cautious in applying the label of it being a racial situation to something that may have been simply a, a safety situation or a violent situation. And I think for me, when I was out running sales appointments, and I, I think I mentioned before I've, that I went out and ran sales appointments on telemarketed leads, and we went to virtually any neighborhood. So I would show up, we'd call, and they'd say, hey, he's in the area. Really, I'm probably three hours away, right? I drive my couple hundred miles to get there to do this appointment that I'm going out where there's no requirements other than that they let me present basically. And I drive into the neighborhood and then I go, I I figure out where I'm going. I go in, I do the presentation and I do my best to make a sale. Well, the number of crazy situations I encountered, whether it was sitting with a drug dealer, seeing three different shootings, doing all of this they were insane. The stories that I can tell from those years are, are really crazy and probably could fill their own book at the time. And I, I think this is probably a good distinction at the time in my mind, I looked and 
said, man, I'm, I'm going into these neighborhoods that are really rough. And I looked around and I saw a lot of people who didn't look like me. I felt pretty threatened. As I look back with perspective, I look and realize, actually, I went into a lot of different types of neighborhoods, including plenty where almost everybody did look like me. And I was just in danger. I just saw some really not great things that were happening. I saw drug deals, shootings, et cetera. This reminds me of when I was coming back from California a couple of years ago by train and one of my stops was in Atlanta. And that like between Houston and Atlanta, instead of taking the train, the train schedule didn't work out because I definitely wanted to stop in New Orleans and get some Cajun food. So I took the bus from Houston to New Orleans and then from New Orleans to Atlanta. As my bus was getting into Atlanta, I got a text message or an email saying, someone wrote and said, family emergency, can't host you tonight. Ah, okay. So I go on Airbnb and I get uh, a new place and I'm, I'm just like, I just want to get someplace near the bus station. I don't know anything about Atlanta. I find a place with walking, walking distance from, from there. At one point I remember walking along and there's like these three black guys I'm walking through and like, it's, it's like a scene out of what movie? Just like seeing these three heads, just whatever they're doing, they stopped. And they're like, what is this? Like, what's going on here? This person walking by and I'm walking by with the, with the suitcase rolling behind me, which in an airport is normal, but I, I doubt they've seen often there. Like there's no one on foot. It's not like a, it's, it's, the houses are pretty far apart. Later, I was meeting some friends for drinks. One of my friend's girlfriends says, where are you staying? And I said, uh, I don't really, I forget how to describe it. I said like the name of the street. And she like gets out her phone, looks at me. She's like, like she turns like a, a ghost. And she's like, I don't think you want to stay there. Because when I got there, it's like all the windows have bars on them. All the doors are barred and window and, and it, like the locks, are like s- severe locks. At night, there was like fights. It sounded like, it sounded like hookers and pimps fighting. I, I don't really, I haven't heard that, but that's what I was going like. to say. Is that a sound you're pretty I'm familiar guessing. with? You just connected. <laughs> I don't really know, but I was staying there. You're talking about ascribing whether it's race or whatever. I'm just saying my experience is that people tell me not to go places and it's unsafe for me to go places. And I was telling someone else about this maybe last week or so. And they said, there's a difference between not getting to go someplace esoteric versus not getting able to buy food. And like some places you have to go and you can't get around. That was a distinction, possibly applies. But the, here's the question that I'm afraid to ask, but I think it's an innocent question that I, I'm not sure. Well, I haven't asked, but I, I'm afraid to ask because if I think, I think if I ask people will view me as like, you idiot, you should know this or, or something like that. But what happens if I say, there's places that I can't go. I also experience that. I'm also working to change that. And I don't think that high crime areas is like an esoteric thing. It's not like I'm, I'm like, oh, let's go on a safari to some exotic place and right. look at the natives. That's not what I'm saying. For one thing, I just want to save a little time going home. For another thing, I live not far from the Apollo. I'd be interesting to go. Oh yeah, when I was in high school, did I say this last time? Or maybe it was to the other, see now I'm talking about race more. I can't remember who I said what to not do the right thing. When She's Gotta Have It came out, Spike Lee's movie. I saw it and I really liked it. I thought this is a great movie. So this is, I was in high school at the time. A little while after that, School Days came out. I think that was the second movie. Two friends of mine from high school, we decided to go watch the movie. We get to the theater. I was the only white person and my two friends were Asian. We were the only two non-black people there. I was the only white one. They were the only two Asians there. No issue. We just watched the movie, but I mean, it isn't, it, you couldn't miss it. 
it was weird. I didn't expect to be in like in, in a nearly all black environment, all black except for the one, those of us who came together. Maybe I should distinguish between places where people have warned me against versus just finding myself often in situations which I've, do I feel uncomfortable? It's hard for me to remember. I don't think I felt uncomfortable. I mean, it, so, it sounds like in this case, it happened to be a situation where you were in the minority of who was present as opposed to there being a significant issue or even emotional it, impact, maybe in this case, at least. I guess it made me think twice about future things where at the very least, I'm very aware that I'm the only or one of the only white people that people aren't, it's not like, it does affect people's behavior around you. It affects how people treat you. Like I can see how people are treating each other and I can see how, I, how I'm treated and it's not the same. Okay. So my life is filled with, with things like this on I a daily basis. I think many people's lives are filled with things like that. that it, and I, I'm glad you went back to the Apollo example because what I hear from my friends and, and as I've had these conversations, I, you, you ask how to, how to ask a question and not have it be an issue. I have said to my black friends, I've, I've been like, look, I am, I am young in this. I have a lot of misunderstanding and I've got some, and I've got some questions and I, and even just setting that up, I, I was able to have a much better conversation with them and have a, have a dialogue with people that, that I care about and that I know care about me and ask questions that, that enabled me to gain a little bit more of an education. And I continue to seek that. But with this Apollo example, what strikes me is a, this isn't somewhere where you can't go. This is somewhere where you might feel a little bit uncomfortable. Does that come from you? Does that come from them? Hard to know, but it's different than what I hear described as if I'm this place, the police are going to look at me. If I'm this place, I'm going to get called out of a lineup. If I'm this place, I'm in danger of getting attacked. If I'm that my black friends are using these examples or more systemic examples of having to coach their children on how to respond to the police. It's danger as opposed to discomfort and it's system as opposed to incident is what, at least what I've experienced or seen and had explained to me also as a lot of the difference. Do you see that as a difference as well? Some of the differences, yes. Some of the differences, not, I'm not so sure. I mean, okay. there are definitely places where if I go, people are telling me you're facing danger. You could be attacked. You could be robbed. You could be killed. Right. Is that a dangerous space or is that just understanding that we're having this discussion about race? So I'm not saying the danger is irrelevant. I've gone into super dangerous situations. I've been surrounded. I've had all sorts of crazy stuff happen as well. The vast majority of those, I would say, particularly with perspective, but most of them even within it, that they weren't related to race so much as just danger or a bad situation. There are a couple that come up that certainly had at least some piece of race involved. I think of when I, and, and I may have shared part of this example last time when I was lost and looking for directions in DC and it was in Southeast DC and I get out of my car and there's a group of people across the street, all of whom happened to be black. And they said, there's a white boy, let's get him. There's a moment. And yes, I think that there are moments where race absolutely plays into case or incidents or situations. Was I scared? Yes. Did I get the heck out of there? Yes. Did I get rear-ended on the highway because I was so freaked out? Yes, I did. But 
Wait, wait. You didn't get rear-ended because you were so freaked out. You got rear-ended because someone intent, intended to rear-end you. Oh, Not exactly. Someone, oh, you were so just driving someone else. I got out of there. I got in my car and drove and got out of there as fast as I could. I got on the highway and I actually, I think I was driving fine. Somebody came and rear-ended me and hit and run. Not, and not related to the people. Not related oh, to the I'm people. Sorry, I got, I I got she, out I, of, no, I got out of that situation, probably not driving as well as I could have until I got on the highway. But I, I was certainly, certainly concerned. Well, I, I guess my experience shows that that's an incident and not one that I face often or that I would expect to face systemically. And I, I look to the fact that probably 70% of my clients are minorities of some sort. And I, I look to the fact of where I spend a lot of my time and who I spend it around and friends in 40 countries around the world. And I, I feel fortunate to be exposed to a lot of different situations. But perspective wise, yeah, that was an incident. Race was a factor in that incident, but I don't have the expectation every day when I'm walking down the street that I'm going to get pulled over by the police. You may have also adjusted your behavior not to go to places where things could, where you, you don't feel safe. I would say that I was cautious, but it wasn't about that incident. I was cautious just because we, we, again, I saw three shootings in that job and they were, I mean, two of them for, were from people who were white. It sounds like a system to me. It sounds systemic to me. Okay. Now it's probably the same system of separating groups and then one group ending up having less economic, what's the word, access. And then you're going to get higher crime there. What I'm getting at is that you have experiences that are not part of the dialogue. And if you were to bring them up, I'll just speak personally. I have experiences that when people talk I hear stuff that I'm like, wait a minute, that describes me too, to some degree, in some way. But if I bring it up, I'm I'm afraid to bring it up. Now here I'm bringing it up for the first time in 40, 49 years. Well, it's not all that time. I mean, in like decades, this is not something people could talk about. If a white person says, in general, there are places I can't go to. You say, well, there are differences. Well, I've, where you come up with that answer. Is this, is this written anywhere? Is this, is this a part of the, the dialogue? Because if it's not, I think that white people are going to feel like, wait, but I suffer too. And if that suffering doesn't come out there, then they're not honest. They're not open. And we don't solve problems. We don't solve, how do I put it? This is what I'm trying to work out. We could solve some superficial issues without getting to, and people still feel like, well, I'll help them, but still, they're still, I'm misunderstood or it hasn't solved my situation. Right. But I I also think that when you're talking about this statement, there are places that I can't go to. The why matters. Is it because of race? Is it because of other things? What does I can't go mean? Right. Does it, does I can't go mean I feel a little uncomfortable? Does it mean, does it mean I'm going to get arrested and and have a possibility of dying where where does that come in i'm good with the dialogue i'm good and i i think the dialogue to some degree is important but i i also think that this connection to is it classism is it something else what framework does it belong in which of the conversations does it belong in i can't go because x there is a clear path of with my black friends of they can't go to some of these places because they are black. And do they tell you that? Yes. 
when they tell you that, do you say, is there class issues as well? I do. I've had some of those discussions. I've, I've had pretty deep discussions about them, but I've also had significant amount of evidence that shows me that they can't because they are at risk because they are driving while black, because they are walking while black, because, and that this is a disproportionate call out because of the color of their skin. And interestingly, because I, I think this informs the discussion a little bit in other countries where the racism is different. For example, in Australia with indigenous people or in Africa, in many cases with whites and, and reversing this, that it looks similar in reverse as well when the structure of the society is set to create that standard. When you say that they, you talk to your friends who are black mm-hmm. and they talk about places they can't go. And I said, you talked about the class stuff too. And you said, yeah, but it's obviously race. There are places where there's clear race. Not, no, not all of them. I've had the discussion. That it's happened. You said right. it, it's happened. Yes. There are differences between their situation and my situation, meriting differences in your responses. Sure. But there are similarities in the situations that I don't see in the responses. Okay. That there are cases, there are definitely cases, as you said, let's go get the white guy. There are cases mm-hmm. where white people can't go places where black people can. And it's race is an issue. There may be sure. also class. There may be also other things, but race is an issue. And you didn't take that as a given, as a granted. You said, I don't know how you could say that it was definitely a case of driving while black. That it was because they were black and nothing else. Or I didn't, you didn't say nothing else. But I think there's a lot of data that would support that. Would support that. Well, then there's data in both directions. The data is, I would argue, is far more heavily weighted to show that that it is a very specific racial bias in a number of areas, particularly um, as, it, as it historically has come to law enforcement. Race is an issue in both cases. Okay. I'm not saying it's not a case in, 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 um, with the law, but it's also a case with North Philly or Southeast D.C., Look, it's so safe. Well, it's interesting it's- because I ran other appointments in Southeast DC. So, you know, you talked about me going away from there. I ran other appointments there where I felt safe and met incredibly wonderful people. Yeah, and they're black people who go into Bloomingdale's and have no problem. Sure. So you're treating something's different as they ought to be different because they are different, but some things you're treating differently, even though they're the same. You're taking for granted that they're driving while black. That was the motivation of the person who stopped them, but not taking for granted when it goes the other way. I don't want to say that anyone who thinks, anyone who hears what I'm saying and thinks that I'm not accepting or acknowledging that there are power structures and there are, you know, like there are options available to whites for legal reasons that aren't available to blacks and all sorts of things like that. Yeah, that's there. But the discussion that we have about it is not an open, honest, candid, frank discussion. I do believe there should be a space to ask questions and get real answers and to enter into a dialogue like, like what we're having, for example. It doesn't I think exist. this is important. Are, can you think of examples of this type of dialogue happening? Publicly, in, in a couple of cases publicly, I think of my, one of my friends, Tiffany Largi, and one of her friend, one of her good friends and clients, and they, they did a four-hour Zoom session that was broadcast live to the world having a conversation like this. But most of what I think of are private conversations. It's not in the public dialogue, at least as much as I'm seeing. What do you see in the public dialogue about race? 
Well, that's a very big question. So, well, it's a big question. It's also what I see is is media. In many cases, I see exactly what we said at the beginning, which is a lot of sensationalism, a lot of headline grabbing, and a lot of talking to people who are very strongly on one end of an issue or another without acknowledgement that there's a broad swath in the middle who could have a productive dialogue. Yeah, I think it's not just media seeking these these people with the strong views, but the people with strong views also seeking the media. 100%. Yeah, absolutely. And people not people in the if there's a large swath in the middle, they're not seeking to have their voices out because if they do, the people on the other side, they're going to blow it out of proportion. And so I, I agree with you. And I think there's another example of this in the country right now. You, you look at the presidential election. It's so incredibly divided that anyone who might be in the middle saying, hey, there are some good things on both sides. There are some bad things on both sides is just eviscerated to the point to where it's almost not worth speaking out if you might hold a more moderate viewpoint. The hotter an issue gets, the, the brighter that it burns, the more likely that the middle gets eaten up. It's weird. I was going to say, say you're on the side that's against racism, but I don't think that the, I see a spectrum or polar, it doesn't quite work because I don't think, yeah, it's two different axes. This is the worst problem in the world, which is like my little uh, name for things where on the one side, people are saying, we're not racist. So the other side, those are the racists. But the other people are saying, we're racist. And the people on the other side are not racist. They're, they have a different set of values. So getting ascribed racism, don't get me wrong, they're racists. <laughs> but they are not, there's like Stormfront, right? That is a web page that exists. I know it because I had on my podcast, Matthew Stevenson, who met the guy who started, who, he was the Orthodox Jewish guy. I think I told you about this. Uh, who met um, Derek Brown, who is the godson of Der- David Duke, and he was raised to be a white supremacist. He created the Stormfront webpage. So lots of people who go there. They are racists, as far as I can tell. I think many of them are proud to be so. But then there's a lot of people who I think would be happy to disavow those people who would also say they're the opposite and they would disagree with the people who would say that they're anti-racist. And I think that there are many people who are truly not racist, even even anti-racist, but they, and look, I'm not a Trump supporter. Anyone who thinks he said, oh, there's good people on both sides. That is not what I'm saying. It's not even remotely what I'm saying. It is so far from what I'm saying that anyone who thought I was going there has no, like there's, there's a rut in their mind that they are so in, so stuck in. I told you about my, what the, did I tell you about when I fell off the bike when I was a kid riding by the trolley tracks? Yes. If I did, I don't think it was on last recording. One time when I was a kid, I was riding my bike near some trolley tracks. And as I was riding along, I was going at a slight angle with the trolley tracks. And when the wheel went into the, it, it got stuck in the track and fell in and I couldn't steer the bike and I fell over. Now, if I rode at a right angle, there's no way the wheel could fit into the track at a right angle to it. So I could go over it, no problem. If I would parallel to it far away, also no problem. It's if I get close to it and get into it, then I can fall in and I can't get back out again. And I find that there are, there are many topics where if I talk about something close to what people expect, then they hear what they expect to hear, which is not what I've said. And what I'm saying is not, there, is not remotely like what Trump said. The words are kind of similar, but my, what I was talking about is not even close. Right. And someone who thinks that it was and wants to ascribe me to that they are lying. They're dishonest. They're not listening. They're doing, 
I don't know what they're doing, but it's not. But it's not right and it's not good. I, I'm not going to say that. I think that there's, as with so many other things, there's a spectrum of people, right? There are a spectrum of people who would say, yes, I'm, I am racist and I'm proud of it. And that's probably a relatively small group, hopefully a very small group. There are those who display an awful lot of racist behavior and probably are, but may not, it may not admit it and think that they're even away from it. There are those who I think a large group who are not racist, but have actions that maybe they're uninformed actions. Maybe they're okay. I'm sorry to interrupt. Right. I agree that there are people like that. Let's say that they really are ignorant and they mean well. And everyone, if anyone looked at their intent, everyone would be like, we agree with your intent, but because of their ignorance, because of their, what they do from the outside looks like it might look racist, but if, with a bit of education, they'd be, oh, oops, I didn't realize. I'll change. Yep. I think that's a large group of people. That's what I'm talking about. They may look, let's just go full on. They may look full racist from the outside, but they don't know. If the goal is to have less racist behavior, but they just get lumped in and every time they try to, they can't learn. How can they learn? If the problem is ignorance and when someone is asking a question out of ignorance, as long as anyone anywhere ascribes to them ill will or malice or racism, you only need one or two times for that to happen when people are like, don't ask that one. And then you have a whole yeah. nation, you have a large number of people who every intent to be kind and equal to everyone deprive of a way out. You do. And I, 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 I think, think that bring, was me. But I, I think bringing I, the asking questions into it is a, is a relevant piece because other than that, it's the same thing as me now it's me saying, I don't want to steal anything. And then I walk out with something in my pocket. Well, I still stole it. I didn't intend to be a race. I didn't intend to do a racist thing, but I did. I still did it. I have some accountability for that, but I also have the desire to grow and improve and be better. I'm not a kleptomaniac. <laughs> I took the thing. And I, I think there, when we take it away from racist and we put it into other contexts, it starts to, it starts to connect a little bit, right? It, it just a little more of, hey, I, I didn't want to be a thief, but I was. That wasn't my intent, but that's what happened. I had the best of intent. I didn't intend to walk out of there with anything in my pocket, but I still did. Now, here's the difference. When I walked out of there with my pocket and I realized it was there, I can walk back in and go, hey, look, man, I'm sorry this happened. Let me Let me pay for it. And I can make it better. What I think we probably need to do better as a, as a country, as individuals, is foster the opportunity for someone to come back in to the store and pay for that candy bar. That's well past. I'm saying the laws are not well written. And if you ask about them, people shame you. I'm saying, how do you learn about the law in the first place in, in that analogy? What if you had no access to the law and if you tried to access the law, you were shamed for it and you lost your job? And it's not that you didn't want to, it's not that you didn't know that. I'm talking about something earlier. Okay, you want to say if someone makes a mistake, make it easy to, to undo the mistake or to, to make good on it, something like that. I'm saying the person wants to ask, what's the law? As it stands now, presumably you can go online and look up the law. But I lived my life feeling like if I bring this stuff up, and I still feel this now, as we're speaking now, that's why I had to do that whole Trump thing. I don't know. I have, I have ideas, but I'm afraid to say them because I feel like I should know them. I mean, on a very small scale, when I was a little kid growing up, 
the word oriental was used to describe people from the Far East. Right. I don't think anyone had a problem with it. And then at some point it switched to Asian. Now, say someone was out of the country for a long time, came back and started saying oriental. That person might sound racist today, but they, they just, they're just behind the times. They didn't know that that word has changed in some way. How would they find out? Except if they use it and get punished, they make the mistake and they get punished. What if they want to find out ahead of time? What if they just want to, what if white people want to talk about race out of ignorance? And they're not really interested in dancing around and not dancing around, but like they want to ask questions. They want to hear whom do they ask? In my experience, they can go ask their friends who are black. They can go ask, they can go ask their friends who are in your example, Asian. That's probably a good starting point. Okay. Couple come, so a couple of things come to mind. What if you don't have any black friends? I mean, if the problem is that the races are separated and, and people right. are living in like all white neighborhoods, what do they do? Go up to a black person because they're black <laughs> and say like- Randomly on the street, probably not. That's probably not the best choice. And now why are blacks, do blacks know more about racism than whites? I didn't say, do they experience being the victims of racism? Do they know more about what it means? Do they decide what's racist? Not, not, not racist? inherently. So it's, why do you have to- But, then, but, I would say, but I would say that the exposure and conversations are more likely to have been had within their environment. That and again, we're speaking of a person who is, to your point, ignorant of the situation, reaching out to someone who ideally is less ignorant of this situation. Why is one experience? What do you think it should be? Where do you think they should go to find that out? Google? To be frank, I've not gotten to that stage of, of that's what's missing in the world. Is one of the things missing in the world. Is Google for racism? It would be DuckDuckGo for me. Fair enough. Got to keep, gotta keep that right. Sorry. That's why, that's one of the reasons why I'm doing this is to try as, as a leader. To be a resource. If people know the answers, they don't need leaders. Right. I agree with that. I do think that leaders such as you, myself, others should stand up and be a resource, should tackle the hard issues. So many, and I'll even add the air quotes, so many quote unquote leaders shy away from difficult issues. And for understandable reasons that you brought up at the beginning of our first conversation, the, the cancel culture and everything with it, of there's risk. But in my opinion, true leaders step into the fray, not away from it. They step into that to help, to support, to educate, to guide all of those things. And if more leaders like yourself are having conversations like this and are spurring conversations that go beyond this, then we end up in a better place. And I, that's why this conversation should probably extend for you and I that much further. That's why you and I have been talking about it for months and why we're having conversations that we're recording and sharing with the world because yeah, we could go on. it isn't let's, out there. Based on what you said, let's break here. I think we're over the time for you for your next call. Totally unfinished. <laughs> we have to wrap up. So I think right. we've been on for about an hour. So for their sake. Yeah, for their sake, let's save their, save their ears. Anything to close with at your end? I think it's really what I, what I just shared, that it's important to have real conversations, to ask real questions, to dialogue about this, to disagree, to be, to be willing to work through 
the productive conflict. That's part of being a leader. It's part of being a person. That's one of the things that I appreciate about you and the conversations we have. I'm trying to think if I have any closing things because everything I can think of is like the beginning of another hour. (laughs) I'd love to hear what people say. If people feel like he's doing it, get him. I don't know what, I hope that's not their response. I hope not. Yeah, I I hope not because that's 0% what's there. I'm as curious as anybody in approaching this. And I've had conversations about it, but I've not, and I've had them offline with you, but I've not had them in this way. And I love the, I love the dialogue and being able to explore these different places. 